next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. Welcome to episode 43. Today, we're going to take a look at all the top stories from 2021. In August, rain fell for the first time in forever there. Temperatures at the Greenland summit, about two miles above sea level, rose above freezing for the third time in less than a decade. Rain fell and dumped 7 billion tons of water on the ice sheet. That would be enough to fill the reflecting pool at the National Mall in D.C. 250,000 times. It was the heaviest rainfall on the ice sheet since recording started in 1950. Scientists predict rain's going to occur there more often. The Arctic region is expected to experience more rain than snow sometimes between 2060 and 2070. I probably won't be around to see that, but some of you will. Number nine. In mid-July, destructive and fatal flash flooding ravaged parts of Western Europe, China's Henan province, and the state of Tennessee. Severe flooding killed more than 200 people in Germany and Belgium. Swaths of the region saw 24-hour rainfall totals of roughly between 4 and 6 inches, which is more than an average month's worth of rainfall. In China, floods that struck Henan province killed more than 300 people. In the capital of 12 million people, that was one of the hardest-hit areas. Entire neighborhoods were submerged. Passengers were trapped in inundated subway cars, clinging to the ceiling handles to stay above water. And back in the United States, staggering amount of rain fell caused flash flooding in Tennessee that took out more than 270 homes and killed more than two dozen people. Number eight. In February, there was a historic deep freeze in Texas. A crippling winter storm swept through the central United States the week of February 15th. Hey, that's my birthday. And plunged Texas into a deep, deep freeze. They weren't prepared for it. Electricity generation grounded to a halt, and around 4 million people lost power. The best part was, well, there was no good part, but Governor Abbott blamed the power outages on frozen wind turbines and solar panels even though the state's fossil fuel energy sector was ultimately to blame for the crisis. The Texas Department of State Health Services reported the extreme winter weather killed more than 200 people. The economic toll was also disastrous. Texas office reported the storm may have cost the state as much as $130 billion and urged the weatherization of its power infrastructure. Number seven. How about some good news? The U.S. rejoined the Paris Agreement within hours of being sworn in. President Joe Biden signed an executive order in January to rejoin the global climate pact known as the Paris Agreement. You recall President You-Know-Who pulled the United States out of that agreement while he was in office. In April, Biden pledged to cut U.S. greenhouse gases in half by 2030. Number six. Every six or seven years, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, better known as the IPCC, publishes a report that summarizes the state of climate research. Panel's latest report came out in August and said that humans have caused climate crisis and that we are now a code red for humanity. Scientists said the planet has rapidly warmed by more than one degree Celsius higher than pre-industrial levels and is now headed towards 1.5 degrees, a critical threshold that the world leaders agreed warming should remain below to avoid making our situation worse. We've got to cut greenhouse gases and remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Number five. World leaders gathered in Glasgow in November 
for the UN-brokered climate change summit known as COP26. After two weeks of negotiations on how to limit global warming, nearly 200 countries signed the Glasgow Climate Pact, which included the first-ever acknowledgement of the role burning fossil fuels have played in perpetuating the climate crisis. The pact showed some promise, but it didn't really reflect the urgency that scientists have called for. Countries agreed to phase down the use of unabated coal for power generation. Developing nations also left disappointed after negotiations around climate financing. The funding from wealthy nations to help low-income countries deal with the crisis broke down. I had uh, mixed expectations, and I think COP26 fell short of what I was hoping for. Number four. In August, Category 4 Hurricane Ida destroyed homes, uprooted trees, and cut off power to more than a million customers in Mississippi. Ida checked all the boxes on how climate change is making hurricanes more dangerous, producing more rainfall, moving slower once they make landfall, and generating large storm surges. But the impact didn't end at the Gulf Coast. The storm moved inland. Ida triggered flash flood emergencies in the northeast. The storm broke the single-hour rainfall record in Central Park and gave Newark, New Jersey, its wettest day ever. The flooding killed dozens of people in the Northeast, many of them drowned in basement apartments in New York City. And the storm exposed the need to strengthen the city's infrastructure against worsening climate crisis. Number three. In December, a series of tornadoes tore through the Midwest and southeastern United States. The last month of the year is typically the quietest for tornadoes, but warm temperatures brought a historic twist. In Kentucky, tornadoes uprooted trees, leveled homes, and killed dozens of people. Governor Andy Bashir said at a news conference that the tornado event reached a level of devastation unlike anything he'd ever seen. It's not completely clear what role climate change played in the December tornadoes, but scientists say the fingerprints of global warming can be found on every extreme weather event. Number two. An unprecedented heat wave in late June killed hundreds of people in the Pacific Northwest and British Columbia. All-time record temperatures were set across the area. Scientists say the heat wave would have been virtually impossible without human-caused climate change. Experts said normally temperate region is unprepared for extreme heat events. Many residents didn't even own air conditioning units. Hundreds of people died from heat-related illnesses. Officials later called the heat wave a mass casualty event. In British Columbia, the same heat wave fueled a fast-moving wildfire that obliterated the town of Lytton just one day after the temperature soared to 121 degrees Fahrenheit and broke Canada's all-time temperature record. Number one. I hate to break the news. The western United States has been in the grips of a historic, multi-year drought. Scientists say it's a clear sign of how climate crisis is affecting not only the weather, but with the water supply, food production, and electricity generation. In California, the summer's drought was the most extreme in the state's 126-year record. July 2021 as the driest month since they started gathering data in 1895. By August, more than 95% of the West was in drought conditions. Lake Mead and Lake Powell, two of the country's largest reservoirs, drained at an alarming rate after a dry winter and extreme drought this past summer. The government in August declared a water shortage on the Colorado River for the first time ever, triggering mandating water consumption cuts for states in the Southwest beginning in 2022. And I know people who want to move to Arizona, but there's not going to be any water there. The mega drought also primed the landscape for perilous wildfires. The three largest fires of 2021, the Bootleg, Dixie, and Calder fires, burned roughly 1.6 million acres. That's an area half the size of Connecticut. 
high winds took smoke from some of these fires across the country, all the way to New York City. It's time for the Climate Hero of the Week. Let's talk about John Kerrigan. He's a senior executive at the property developer Fraser Millar Estates. Rising fuel bills for his own home in Belfast kickstarted John's journey to discover a different approach to building homes. He doesn't call himself Mr. Climate Activist, but he's doing a little bit more every year. And he noticed that his fuel bills kept rising, and he decided to build low-energy housing, the gold standard of which is called Passive House. It's a German word, which is a voluntary standard for energy efficiency in a building. It reduces the building's ecological footprint and results in low-energy buildings that require a little bit of energy for space heating or cooling. Homes in the UK are a significant source of energy demand and greenhouse gas. The Passive House standard reduces both. He plans on building 219 low-energy, near-zero carbon homes for families in Belfast. That's the largest development of its kind in the UK and Ireland. Raj Vasudevan came up with an innovative solution to reduce plastic waste by finding a way to use shredded plastic as a component for construction materials. He's a professor of engineering in India. He started working on a solution to the plastic waste problem about 20 years ago. He was concerned that banning plastic altogether would negatively affect lower-income families, so he wanted to focus on a way to make better use of plastic waste. He ran a bunch of experiments and discovered that shredded plastic can be coated over gravel and mixed with hot bitumen, also known as asphalt, which derives from fossil fuel, and this product could form new durable road surface materials. The Indian government took a look at it, and now they're required that any new roads built near large cities need to use recycled plastic. Inspired by his work, other countries have started looking at incorporating plastic in road surfaces. Some have come up with their own formulations that even further reduce the asphalt needed in the process. Way to go, Raj. Here's a little news flash for you. The Turtle Rehabilitation Project re-released 30 sea turtles into the Arabian Gulf on World Sea Turtle Day. That was back in June. Following their rescue, the hawksbill green and loggerhead turtles enjoyed an extensive recovery period under expert supervision and returned to the wild where they belong. Now it's time for the Climate Villain of the Week. One of the things that encompasses my feelings about COP26 was the disappointing British Prime Minister serving as COP26 President Alok Sharma. He was holding back tears as he came under fire for ceding to pressure from India to allow a last-minute weakening of the language referring to fossil fuels in the deal. The wording was going to be phasing out coal, and instead, because of pressure from India, they changed it to phasing down coal. It may not seem like a big change, but you could tell the look in his face was... I don't have the guts to stand here and tell the world we're phasing out coal. Very disappointing. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. You guys have heard me talk about the Five Gyres Institute before. They're a leader in the global movement against plastic pollution, more than 10 years' ex- expertise in scientific research and engaging on plastic pollution issues. Since 2009, the team has completed 19 expeditions, bringing more than 300 citizen scientists, corporate executives, brands, and celebrities to the gyres, lakes, and rivers to conduct first-hand research on plastic pollution. Do you want to get involved or learn more? Check out their YouTube channel videos, their Trash Academy. Everything's virtual now, and you can join them and learn all about the history of plastic and what you can do today for a cleaner planet and a plastic-free tomorrow. It's a great organization. I strongly encourage you to check it out. Marcus Erickson is the leader. He's an amazing person. 
done crazy, wild things that you would never dream of doing or let your kid do. When I started this podcast, I didn't know what a nurdle was. And one of the episodes early on in this podcast was the Great Nurdle Hunt of 2020. Well, a couple months ago, they finished the Great Nurdle Hunt of 2021. Nurdles are small plastic pellets about the size of a lentil. Billions of them are manufactured to help make nearly all the plastic products that we use, but many of them end up washing up on their shores. They fall out of trucks, containers tip over. Like other plastics, nurdles can be mistaken for food by marine wildlife. They pose a threat to these creatures and habitats for years and years. Nurdles are tiny, plastic, persistent, and potentially toxic. Due to their size and often clear color, nurdles can look like fish eggs or other small animals, which makes them particularly attractive to seabirds. More than 220 marine species have been shown to ingest plastic debris. Plastic gets trapped in an animal's stomach, causing ulcerations, making them feel full and stopping them from eating real food. This can lead to starvation and death. Toxic chemicals can also transfer from microplastics to the animals that eat them, causing further harm. Nearly a million nurdles have been collected in just two hours by the organization Good Karma Projects during a recent nurdle cleanup in November of 2021 the highest number of nurdles they've ever heard of collected in just a two-hour period. That was in the Tarragona region. It's a port city, northeastern Spain's Catalonia region. So check out Great Nurdle Hunt, and you'll learn where you can get involved and help collect nurdles. And what can we do about it? If you want to hear about some brilliant people doing amazing things and coming up with new products and new technology, check out the James Dyson 2021 Award winner. In the sustainability category, in the Netherlands, Jerry DeVos came up with Plastic Scanner. It's a handheld device that when you hold it against the plastic, it'll tell you what the material is. How many times do you, you go to think if you can recycle something and you have to look at all the numbers and you're not sure which bin it goes to and are you doing it right? You don't want to screw it up, but you get frustrated and you're not sure, so you just chuck it into a bin. Well, this device can scan and categorize more than 75% of plastics. So it's very helpful for um, the recycling process. And large recyclers can use the plastic scanner to help determine where the plastic should be placed. This is just one of many, many examples. If you go to the James Tyson, I'm sorry, James Dyson website and look up all their award winners. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. In an episode last year, I talked about a villain named Trofim Lysenko from Russia. And I mentioned the name Nikolai Vavilov. Well, we're going to celebrate Vavilov's birthday today. And this is a little bit longer than I usually do, but I think it's important. So Vavilov uh, was a prominent Russian and Soviet botanist, geneticist, best known for identifying the centers of origin of cultivated plants. So he gave his whole life to studying and proving wheat, maize, crops, to help sustain his population. The population. His work was criticized by Lysenko, whose concepts of plant biology won favor with Joseph Stalin. As a result, Vavilov was arrested and subsequently sentenced to death in July of 41. His sentence was commuted to 20 years imprisonment, but he died in prison in 1943 of starvation. In 1955, his death sentence was retroactively pardoned under Nikolai Khrushchev. And by the 1960s, his reputation was publicly rehabilitated, and he began to be hailed as a hero of Soviet science. Vavilov collected seeds from every corner of the globe. In Leningrad, he created the world's largest collection of plant seeds. 
he encountered a young Lysenko, and at first they got along, and he encouraged Lysenko's work. Now, just a quick refresher on Lysenko. In 1940, he became the director of the Institute of Genetics with the USSR's Academy of Sciences, and he used his political influence and power to suppress dissenting opinions and discredit, marginalize, and imprison his critics, elevating his theories and avoided scientific method. Lysenko's ideas and practices were later termed Lysenkoism, and they contributed to the famines that caused millions of Soviet people to lose their lives to starvation. In 1958, the People's Republic of China somehow, for some reason, followed his ideas, and that culminated in the Great Chinese Famine of 1959 to 1962. The Leningrad Seed Bank was diligently preserved and protected through the 28-month-long siege of Leningrad. When the Soviets ordered the evacuation of art from the Hermitage, they had not evacuated the 250,000 samples of seeds, roots, and fruits stored in what was then the world's largest seed bank. A group of scientists at the Vavilov Institute boxed up a cross-section of seeds and moved them to the basement and took shifts protecting them. Those guarding the seed bank refused to eat its contents, even though by the end of the siege, in the spring of 44, nine of them had died of starvation. 2862 Vavilov is a minor planet discovered in 1977 by Soviet astronomer Nikolai Stepanovich Chernok. The crater Vavilov on the far side of the moon is named after him and his brother, Sergei. The story of the researchers at the Vavilov Institute during the siege of Leningrad was fictionalized by novelist Elise Blackwell in her 2003 novel, Hunger. The USSR Academy of Sciences established the Vavilov Award in 1965 and the Vavilov Medal in 1968. If you get a chance, go to, go to the internet and look up Vavilov. Happy birthday. Well, that'll put an end to 2021 and completes the second year of the podcast. I've reached over uh, 8,000 of you listening across 73 different countries in the world. I'm very honored that any of you take a few minutes to listen to what I have to say. I hope I've imparted some knowledge that you can take with you and share with friends and family. Don't give up the fight. It's a fight we have to win. And looking down from way above, as the James Webb satellite inches out into space, I say good night, Galileo. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been a breath of fresh air. Thanks for listening.